God, almost two years ago, brought a, a new family into our church, Mike and Fiona Webb and their children. And I'm going to let Mike explain who he is and what he does in regards to your background. That way I don't steal any of your story. But this is the real key. You have a story that's uniquely yours. And Mike has been a real personal blessing to me. I'm not just saying that just to be nice. Don't cry. But you've been a personal blessing and challenge to me, and their family's been an encouragement to me. I've asked Mike to preach today, and he's going to tell a little bit of his story. Then I'm going to come up and read some scripture, and then we'll pray, and then he'll, he'll share his message with us today. But why don't you get your hands together, ready to clap, and welcome Mike as he comes. It's wonderful to be here and to be able to share with you this morning. So my name's Mike. I'm married to Fiona, and we have four kids. Um, one's just moved to America, um, where he's probably going to get married soon. Never know. We'll just see what happens. And then I have three others. Our youngest um, is 11. So um, 20, about 25 years ago, I was the music teacher down at Basso Senior High School. So I did that for many years. And is anyone else there? Yeah. So um, I enjoyed, uh, I was a brass player, so I played trombone, I conducted bands. It was a lot of fun. But um, during that time, during a service there on Ecclesiastes, God said to me, you need to give up all that you have and serve us overseas. And I was a little bit freaking out. Um, what does that mean? But we obeyed and we went to Bible College. And after Bible College, we um, joined a mission organization called Pioneers. And then we went overseas to Indonesia. And during that time, we worked the first um, six years, I worked on a church planning team where we just were telling people about Jesus and trying to start church, churches in Indonesia. Then after those years, we moved to Papua, Indonesia, not Papua New Guinea, Papua, Indonesia, which we sometimes call West Papua, um, where I worked as what we call the area leader for pioneers, where I was able to just ba basically be a pastor to the church planning teams in East Indonesia. So I did that for many years, as well as trying to raise up more people to, to do that work in Indonesia. It was a wonderful time. Um, but about a couple of years ago, we really felt a real calling from God to come back to Australia. And we didn't know what that was about. So we came back to Australia. Um, where So that was about November 2019. And we came back and we go, where to now, God? What do we do next? So it was a real time of searching. And during that time, it was really clear to us that we were going to move. We were still living, having a house in Bustleton to move up to Bunbury. Um, where Fiona, my wife, who will be here in the second service, she got a job with SWAMS, which is Southwest Aboriginal Medical Service. Um, and I was able to do some more study. And at the beginning of this year, I got to um, I applied for a job as a lecturer at Trinity Theological College in Perth. So now I get to, my passion is to help people to go out and do missions. That's my passion. I want to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. So if I can help people from, from Western Australia to get overseas through my experiences, that's what I want to do. So that's my passion. So, yeah, since then, we, we, we came to Delhi Up Baptist, and we've been really welcomed by Michael and the, and the team here. It's just been a great, when you move back um, to Australia after living overseas for 14 years, you need, I know, we really needed a bit of loving. <laughs> so, it was just great to come to this church, and we felt really loved by this church. So, we've been here for about, well, coming to two years now. So, we've been, it's just a real joy for us to be part of your church. If you don't know us, please come and meet us. We have a Bible study group. Um, on Thursday nights, so also if you, you haven't got a Bible study group, a connect group, sorry, connect group, <laughs> and 
where you can grow and then we can learn to serve, all right? Got three words in there for you. So I'd uh, love to, you know, we'd love to meet you, get to know you, and it's wonderful to be part of your family. So I look forward to sharing with you in a minute. Acts chapter number 17. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 34. And as I read this, I want you to put this yourself in the mindset. The Apostle Paul is entering into a brand new city that he's never been to before. What does he do? Let's read that scripture together. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he, he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance that, all by, that to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionytus the Areopagite, and a woman named 
Damaris, the, and others with them. Like what we often do before the message, let's spend some time in prayer. We're going to be learning about a heart for our neighbors. So as we begin this message, Mike begins in a few moments, I want you to put in your mind one of your neighbors, someone that maybe God's putting on your heart, and filter this entire message through that person. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that something written 2,000 years ago in a foreign city is still so relevant in our lives today. Lord, I pray that you'll bless Mike as he speaks, that you'll, you will speak in and through him, that you'll protect our ears as we hear, to hear only the things that you want us to hear, and we will respond in the way that you want us to respond. And in Jesus' name, amen. So when we were at Bible college, um, we didn't really know where we were going to go. You sort of like, going, well, we knew where to go on mission, but we didn't know where to go. We weren't really fussy. But we said, as long as there's no Muslims. Because at that time, I don't know if you remember, for the, you know, it was just after the Bali bombing. Um, and the Bali bombing, was, it was a pretty hard time for us. We actually had a, a friend of mine was actually killed in the Bali bombings. And I'm going, all right, I just, I just can't do that. Don't send me a place with Muslims. And I was really struggling. So we tried to go to Japan. I said, let's go to Japan. This will be really cool. Like a bit of sushi. Went there, checked it out. Even had a Disneyland there. Well, Disney World, I think. So being there. Um, but every time we kept going to Japan, the doors kept closing. So we tried another way and that door kept shut. I think sometimes we're a bit stupid, aren't we? <laughs> um, but I was persistent, stupidly persistent. And I kept trying going to Japan. But... Eventually, we started to realize, well, maybe we weren't meant to go to Japan. So I said to God, I said, God, what do you want us to do? So we went and chatted to our mission leader. I said, okay, what do we do? He said, okay, you need to give up all your, your list. And you need to say to God, where do you want us to go? Where would you have us go? And as we were praying, we, we wrote an email. We said, God, someone write back an email. So they'd be very excited to have us. I said, that, that will be a sign for us that that's where we would go. So we wrote out to all these different places and we got an email back the next day saying, oh, we would be so excited to have Mike and Fiona come and join us. We go, oh, Indonesia. And my mouth just dropped. This is the largest Muslim country in the world, just in case you didn't know. I mean, you couldn't get any more Muslims than Indonesia. And so we, we thought, okay, if God wants to take us to Indonesia, let's go and do a survey trip. Check it out. So we went to Indonesia, enjoyed Bali for a little bit, you know, as you all do, what we, as we used to do. And then we um, went across to uh, another island and we sat there and we said, okay. We did our day trip and in about we went back to our leader's place. It was about, oh, I think it was about 2.30. We went back to our leader's place and we just sat in our bedroom. And, and about 3 o'clock, there was this sound. I don't know, if, has anyone been... To, an Indi to a Muslim country at three o'clock, there's the sound, the call of prayer, and just blared out. And my, just, my gut just wrenched. I had two kids at that stage. I'm going, how can I bring my two kids to this place where they've killed people? But God was really patient with me. And he reminded me of the story of the Good Samaritan. And he said to me, right at that moment, you're just like that Levite passing the dying man on the other side of the road. Because I didn't see Muslims as worthy of God's love. 
But God kept showing me that I needed to love my enemies. And over time, he gave me a love for Muslims. And as I reflect on this, I really believe that we all struggle to love people, some sort of people. If you think about your own lives, we struggle to love our enemies. We struggle to hate those. We struggle to love those who persecute us. Or there's some people we just don't even think about. And today, as we we think about global missions, I want to challenge you. I want you to think about how do you love your neighbor? And this morning we read about Paul and his experience in Athens. And, and through his experience, we can see his love for his neighbors. And we can see this in three ways. First of all, we can see Paul's heart for the lost and for God's glory. Second, we can see his heart to know the people. And third, we can see how Paul presents the gospel so that it penetrates the hearts of his audience. First, Paul's heart for the lost and God's glory. The story picks up. Paul's just been preaching in Berea. And while he was there, the bunch of unhappy Jews from Thessalonica, they had heard that Paul was there. And they said, okay, we're going to go there. We're going to go to Berea and we've got to start causing trouble. So they went there from Thessalonica to Berea and they started causing trouble. They started riling up the crowds, getting them agitated. And it became so bad that the Christians there said, we need to get Paul out of here. So they thought, let's take him to Athens. Athens. I mean, what an opportunity. Athens. Can you think about this? Athens is a city of wonder. I mean, look at this picture. It's like the tourist hotspot of the day. People came from far and wide. They came to hear the famous philosophers. It was like, you know, those like TED Talks. That's what the Athens was like, TED Talks. Day and night, you'll see a TED Talk. And then they came to see this beautiful architecture. I mean, who doesn't want to go and see Athens? The colonnades, the amphitheaters, the thousands and thousands of idols and temples around the city. Could you imagine Paul's excitement to be in Athens? Could you imagine it? Well, actually, Paul wasn't excited. Verse 16 tells us that Paul was full of distress. He was irritated. He was angry. And the way the original text tells us, shows us, this isn't just a fleeting, passing emotion. No, it was like a continual rumble in his gut. And you ask, why? Well, because these people worshipped idols. When Paul walked around Athens, he just didn't notice the idols. The words see and look in verse 16, 22 and 23 mean to observe carefully and consider so it's like paul he was just thinking and thinking and as he's thinking about what he's seeing you can just see he's getting more and more stirred up in his gut why because these idols were taking away from god's glory because the people in athens they are seeking they were seeking happiness they were seeking security they're seeking hope But instead of finding that in God, they were finding that, they were seeking that in these man-made objects. And because of that, Paul knew that they were on a road to hell. And this is what distresses Paul. And you've got to think about, this is not some, some small little thing. Who was Paul beforehand? Paul, right back before he... He was, a, he was a person who used to, he used to 
um, persecute Christians. He persecuted Christians. He was a zealous Pharisee and he would have avoided Gentiles at all costs because Jews and Gentiles just didn't get, they don't go together. So he was one of those people who would just be avoiding Gentiles and all of a sudden, Paul was distressed because these Gentiles were seeking happiness and hope in idols. And what I see this, I, I think you can see that God had transformed Paul's heart to be more like Jesus. Here we have Paul now loving those who he previously despised. So much so that he was now deeply distressed. And so I ask, what about our hearts? Are you distressed? When I show you this photo, how do you feel? This is in one of the towns that we lived in. And there's thousands and thousands of Muslims in lines just after the month of fasting. How do you feel? Do you feel fear? Do you feel uncertain? Do you feel angry? But all these people are seeking hope. They're seeking a reason for living. Next photo is a photo of my friend. Her name's Ibu Jay. And she was one of those people standing in one of those lines. But after many years of being witnessed to, she came to faith. And you know what she does now? She is a witness to her family about Jesus. And this is because we decided to love her, this Muslim lady who was seeking hope. And for me, I think the love of Muslims came not through reading, but it came through just being understanding and really just getting to know them we have to understand and this brings us to the second point we need to know the hearts of us, of the people one of my jobs on the mission field was to travel around to different towns and different cities in my area and we we're hoping to see whether we could put a expat church planning team in a particular town so once we got to a place we would just spend hours getting out of the car because when you're in a car you actually don't really feel a place you're actually sort of like you know, in little bubbles. So by getting out of your car and just walking the streets, and you can see us there, we got to meet or got to feel and, and be in the place. And as you're walking, you get to see what's really important to people. You get to see what they spend their money on. You get to see, you know, are they got big houses? Are their houses beautiful? Are they small? Are they wooden? You get to look at their mosques and you say, well, is it a big mosque? Is it beautiful? Do they look after it? I mean, if it's well, if looked after, you go, well, they see religion as important. If it's not, you go, well, they don't really care. And, you, you know, are they playing sports? Are they playing soccer? Are they sitting around? Are they talking? And just by looking, by paying attention, you really get to see what is important to people. And then we'd also spend time just with the people talking and listening and you see this guy right next to me he's got his arm around me i love indonesians they just they just want to they want to include you 
They want to welcome you as their family. And tell you what, it, didn't, it took a while for me to get to that stage. But, you know, I, I was, it was great to have those guys. Just, we met them, we just sat down and talked, and we listened. And through just talking with people, with Muslims, you get to really understand what their heart is, what their heart is. And this is what Paul does. He looks and he talks. He looks and he talks so that he can understand the hearts of people. First, Paul seeks to understand the lost by looking and seeing what is important to the lost. Verse 23 tells us that Paul spent time just walking around the city, just looking. And by Paul, he's just trying to understand their hearts through what he can see. And as he's walking and he's looking, what does he see? He sees all these idols. But one particular idol sticks out to him. And verse 23 tells us that it's an altar to an unknown God. So what does this tell Paul? It tells him that these people were living in spiritual fear. They were petrified petrified of the unknown. They thought, what if we have it wrong? We've got all these thousands of islands, and what happens if one of these islands doesn't cover our butts? Despite everything we've done, we could still be struck down by lightning at any moment now by, by an unknown God. So just to cover our butts, what we're going to do is we're going to build another special idol here. We're going to play unknown God, all covered. Whew. All right, so that's what Paul, he sees this, and he goes, well, why? Because they know they're, they're just scared. They don't feel any safety. They, they, they worry about the wrath of God raining down on them. So just through walking around, he got to understand what is important to their hearts. Now, the second thing Paul does is he just talks and listens to them. Verse 17 adds that he's going every day to the marketplace. Every day he's going. And I thought, why is Paul going shopping every day? Maybe after the Berea riots, Paul did something similar to me. Maybe he's going there because he's stress eating and he needs to buy lots more food. I go, what's he doing? He's going to the marketplace every day. But when you look at it, it's not, it's not like our supermarkets. It's, it's not even like our Bunbury farmer's market or it's not like the Frio markets. Or it's rather the marketplace in Athens, it's the heart of the city. It's the centre for commerce. It's where all the politicians got together and to strategize and talk about, you know, the, the virus. It's the place of culture. It's the place of learning. It's the place of debating. And they would, Paul was there every day hanging out and just learning and working hard to understand their hearts. He went to them. He went to them to understand their hearts. And at one stage, Paul is just hanging around with the influences. That's the new term these days for philosophers. We don't call them philosophers. It's the influences of the day. And he's hanging around with them. He's getting into a debate. And in verse 18, some of the influences say, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Did you catch that, Paul? They, they thought Paul was talking about gods, plural. And a bit later, we're told why. Because Paul was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, for me, that's a ding, ding, ding. There's this sort of like cross-cultural communication problem going on. The word resurrection in Greek, it's a lovely, lovely word. It's actually it's the word Anastasia. And they go, oh, it's Anastasia. It's, you know, it's a popular Greek name back then as well. So they're saying, well, so Paul's, actually, Paul's talking about Jesus and Anastasia. Oh, there must be two gods. 
And this is, this is confusion. He's running. Just by talking with him, he gets to understand, hey, this is, there's, a, there's a problem here. They don't really understand where I'm coming from. So Paul was just able to spend time hanging out at the marketplace, just going, hey, I want to understand. I want to know who you are. I want to understand your worldview. And through that, he got to understand their cultural issues. Now, it reminds me of a time when I was taking a group of people from a church. We often had these church short-term mission trips. Has anyone been on a short-term mission trip? Really great. You know, I've been there a few people. We need to do one, Michael, won't we? We should do a short-term mission trip. Maybe to Indonesia. <laughs> when it opens. Um, anyway, so we're taking this short-term trip to a small Indonesian village. Now, the best thing about doing short-term trips is that, because um, I live there, I get to a stage where I can't a- ask stupid questions anymore because they know that I know. But you take people who, that, who don't know anything, they can ask anything they want, which is really excellent. So I say to these people, hey, ask the Muslims anything that you want to know about Islam and about their culture. So as we're talking, so one of the church members said to them, so why, why are there crescents on top of your mosques? So the Muslims just going, hmm. He goes, he wasn't sure. So he shot back with his own question. He said, well, why do Christians worship chickens? <laughs> Hopefully everyone can see that. <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? Confusion reigns. It showed me that we, of, we often don't understand the other person. We just make these assumptions about the other person instead of actually going and talking to them and actually saying, well, why? We need to work hard to understand the other person. We need to work hard. We just can't think back, oh, yeah, they're doing this because of this. So Paul, he had spent intentional time getting to know the people of Athens. He looked and he talked. And, and through it all, he got to understand their hearts. Now, when I walk around Bunbury, it's a multicultural city. I, mean, I love it. There's Indians here. There's Muslims here. It's a great place. Global missions is on our doorstep. Now, when you see a person from a different culture, what is your initial reaction? Do you assume things? Do you see a lady dressed up with a head covering and you go, oh, no, can't talk to her. She's got one of those scary head coverings. And then we start stereotyping people, don't we? It's a terrible thing. It's It's natural, but it's a terrible thing. I think it's a result of our... Sin, but it helps us, you know, but we need to stop doing that. Did you know that many immigrants are so lonely? Did you also know that when an immigrant moves to Australia for the first time, they are the most open to change? They're away from their home culture. They are searching. They are looking. And they are the most open to change so that they can fit in. They want to fit into Australia. They want to fit into Bunbury. And when you think about that, you should be thinking, well, this is a wonderful opportunity. We could just go up 
and start talking to them. I mean, these, a lot of the cultures that come here are what we call collectivist cultures, and they, they're like family. Everyone's like family, but they come to this place and they don't have any family, and they are looking for family, and they would love to talk to you. Honestly, they would love to spend time just, just talking and getting to know you. And you can, you, can, you can spend time and you get to understand their hearts and you actually get to you know, know their fears, you get to know their ambitions, what's important to them. And you know, that's what we can, we can do. And they're much easier to talk about Jesus than Australians. Can I just say that? They are so much easier. They're, they're open to spiritual things. Immigrants are so open. If we spend time talking and listening to our neighbours, to these people, immigrants who've come, we get to know them. We'll have the tools to tell them about Jesus, the greatest gift of all. And we can then present the gospel in a way that will penetrate their hearts. This is our third point. How do we penetrate their hearts? We need to use what we've found out to connect with the people he connects by speaking like they do and so paul starts off by speaking like the greeks he speaks like the greeks he starts his speech using the popular greek techniques of trying to get on their good side verse 22 says hey i see that in every way you are very religious he doesn't say boy you have no idea you are going to hell he doesn't say that at all he actually says something in a very respectful way he doesn't criticize them he acknowledges that they are concerned with spiritual things so he uses he uses his words in a way which is loving and respectful second of all he uses popular culture to connect with the people in verse 28 if you notice it said as some of your own poets have said we are his offspring now, did you know where this quote comes from? If you do, don't say, because it's my heart. I get to tell you. So Michael don't say anything, or do I? <laughs> this quote is actually a poem talking about Zeus. You know, the god Zeus. It comes from a poem talking about Zeus. Here is Paul taking a poem about Zeus, and he's applying it to the god, to our god. That just blows my mind. He's using popular culture and he breathes new meaning into it because by the context, you can see it in the context, he's saying very clearly that he's making this little line from this poem refer to God, that we all come from Adam. And for me, that's just mind-blowing that we can actually use popular culture to reach out to people. Paul, he ultimately wants to connect so that he can really can just address their deepest need. Let's go back to verse 23. I even found again an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. And that's what he tells them. I even found that. And the people who were listening to him said, yeah, yeah, I know that altar. And then he goes for the juggler. He says at the verse, end, of, end of verse 23, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Because Paul knows after spending all that time that the Athenians, these Greeks, they crave knowledge. We're talking about these are the influences. These are the, the intellectuals of the day. He knows they crave knowledge. So he uses this understanding that they crave knowledge to appeal to their desires. And then he adds on, you also got to think, they remember they're scared. They're scared of the unknown power. And he's going to address this fear. He says, through understanding the people, 
he's able to show them that their deepest needs can only be met through the gospel. Only through Jesus. Remember, they're searching for hope. They saw the wonders of creation, but instead of seeing the true God who created it all, they they saw the created as gods. Their sin had made them blind. And I, I, I like this picture. It's like they're in a room with no light. I mean, if when you turn off the lights at night, turn them all off, you can't really see things. But after a while, you can sort of see shadows, can't you? And it's like shadows. These people are living in like a dark room. All they can see is shadows. They're feeling, they're groping around inside the room. What's that? What's that? And then they just latch onto something like an idol. But the gospel is light. And Paul wants to turn on the light to show them what is actually true and what is a lie. And to do this, Paul uses their worldviews. He doesn't talk about the prophets. Now, that would have been totally foreign to them because they don't know the prophets. Rather, he starts with creation. So he understands who these people are. Let's start with the creation. Verse 24. He uses what they know. And from that, he tells them about God. He says, this God, my God, the God of the universe, he created the whole universe. He created the heavens. He created the earth. And it's my God who I know, who I want you to know, who keeps it all running. And then he corrects them in verse 24 and 25. He tells us, God the Creator can't be contained in temples. The God who made the whole universe, the God who made everything, can't be contained in a man-made place. The God who sustains everything, the one who gives life, the one who's created all this, He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you to give little offerings, little servings. And then He returns to shine the light on God's involvement with humans. Verse 25 tells us, that he gives everyone life and breath and all that we need. And I see this. Paul paints a picture of God intimately involved with his created. And I, I think that's what we Christianity is, isn't it? We have an intimate relationship with God, which, which, which really makes us different from other religions. We have a real intimate relationship with God. And then in verse 26, it tells us that God made the nations. From one man, Adam, he made all the nations, including the Greeks. And he tells them that God appointed them in the times and places. And the history and geography of every nation, it tells us, is under God's control. Everything is under God's control. And you say, you ask, why has God done all this? Verse 27 gives us the answer. This is very important. So that human beings who are made in his image, might seek him. So that human beings made in his image might seek him. And I added that made in his image because we are, every single human being is made in God's image. And because we are made in God's image, I believe that we are all seeking God. Now because of sin, many people are seeking in the wrong place. We're all seeking God. We want a relationship with Him. And as verse 27 tells us, we are blinded by the darkness of sin. It says, God has always been close by. This is this whole room thing. But God, but people just can't see Him because of their sin. 
But now Paul's already explained the gospel to them. He's turned on the light. He's told them clearly about God. And he's told them in a way that makes sense to them. And after he's done this, after he's presented the gospel in a way that makes sense to them, he then says there's a call of repentance. Paul returns to what caused his distress, the idols. And he says in verse 29, Okay, now you know, God is the creator of everything. You are his offering. So it's just ridiculous to think that the things that you have made with your own hands can be God. That they can move or live. Philosophy, idolatry, they can't provide the answers to their fear of the unknown and desire for God. So Paul finishes in his speech with a call for repentance. And why is he calling for repentance? Because verse 31 tells us a day has been set and a judge appointed. And Paul's saying this like it's a fact. A day has been appointed. A judge has been appointed. It's not some sort of fuzzy thing. It's happened. There is a day and there is a judge and he doesn't mention the judge's name. And by doing this, he actually avoids that whole miscommunication with the Anastasia thing. But more so, he puts the focus on the judge's relationship with God. First, he has been appointed by God. And second, that God raised him from the dead. And it points to how important Jesus' relationship is with God. And this statement ends the speech. Paul's heart for the lost and understanding of the people of Athens has helped him present the gospel in a way which would penetrate their hearts. The misunderstandings have been made clear. And it's now up to his listeners. Some sneered. Some wanted to hear more. And some believed, including a member of the council of the Areopagus, who I won't even bother pronouncing because Michael did a great enough job of doing that. <laughs> But he, he got them, one believed. People believed. Because Paul's presentation of the gospel made sense. He understood them. He reached out to them. And he was able to you know, show them that you need Jesus. So what does this mean for us? I mean, the, the passage shows us that we need to work hard to love the lost, our neighbours. We need to work hard. We can't just sit in our cars, in our houses. I, I, we spend so much time working or doing things that we often forget that we live in community, don't we? I love daily art community, walking around the park. It's just, you know, being here. But how much are we building our relationships? Are you working hard to know them? Unless we know them, we can't identify their idols. We can't find out their deepest need. We need to know who people are. And we need to show them once we understand what, that Jesus meets their need. So that like Paul, we can present the gospel that penetrates hearts. There are people all over the world who need to hear about Jesus. And God has said, he's brought so many here to our doorstep. People from every tribe, nation and tongue are living right here. We have Muslims here. We have Buddhists, Hindus. There's Indians here. Sikhs. 
I've seen a couple of Sikhs around. Who's seen a Sikh? I've seen a Sikh in Bunbury. They're all seeking hope. They're all seeking God. And they don't understand what Christianity is. They're all confused by Christianity. They don't really understand. And by not telling them, we have to realize that they are going to hell. That's the choice that we are making by saying quiet. God's created us all unique. And I'm not saying that all of us are natural evangelists. Okay, I wasn't a natural evangelist when I went overseas. But I was that person who was dedicated to going out. I went out with a natural evangelist. And he was like, uh, something's about natural evangelists. I think some of them are, well, this friend of mine anyway, he just had no idea of time. He was just like, oh, whatever, we'll go. So, but I was just really like, we're going out on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, every afternoon this time. So I would go around to his place. I would pick him up, remind him that we're going out. And we would go out together. And he would tell people about Jesus. And I would learn it. I would try. And we would do it together. So God's created us all different and unique, but we can work together. We often work in pairs or we can go with friends. We can, just, we can tell other people about Jesus. We need to work hard. He's created us all unique, but we need, to how, we need to not say, I can't do that. We need to work at how we can do that. I mean, God's put us here. There's so many people who don't even care about the future, about heaven or hell and I, I believe that there's also people in this congregation who God's saying hey like me I can actually go out to a different country I have that within me I can do that I don't think when God called me I didn't know where I was going he gave me all that I needed to live in a Muslim country and I don't think we God only tells us the next step and if God's saying to you today hey I want to be I want to be that person who can go over to a different country and tell people about Jesus. Don't ignore the calling. There are so many people who have never, ever heard about Jesus because there's nobody there. They don't even know what it is. And they think we worship chickens. And I'm saying we need, we need more people. The harvest is there, but the workers are few. Will you be that person who will say, hey, I can do this. I can do this. It doesn't matter about your age, your experience, or your gender, whether you're married, whether you're single. We all have something to offer God. Will you be the light? Will you turn the light of the gospel on for people who are walking in the dark? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your gospel that you have saved us. That we now get to go to heaven. And I pray, Lord, that we won't forget that there are many others who are living right next door who are going to hell. Give us the motivation. Give us the words. Give us the accountability to help us as we talk to others may we talk to you them about you may we understand them may we may we seek to understand them so well so that we can present a gospel that makes sense to them not to us that makes sense to them lord so that they can come to a saving relationship with you i pray this in jesus name amen